Welcome to the pulse that moves the triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Inspreffer. Hi, friends. So we picked up a story featured in People magazine, and I thought it would be of interest to our listeners, too. Canine Companions for Independence is a nonprofit organization that enhances the lives of people with disabilities by providing highly trained assistance dogs. Here to tell us more is Jen Hayes from Canine Companions for Independence. Welcome, Jen. Hi, thank you, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is this is exciting information, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and and let's just go through the program, and I'll ask some easy the the who, what, when, where, how kind of questions. Starting with, what does it cost to receive a canine companion assistance dog? Well, we're very proud that with our organization, there's not a charge for our clients to receive a dog from Canine Companions for Independence. That's good. So we're able to, yes, we're able to train and uh, provide the dogs at no cost to the recipient. Um, There's there's not a charge to participate in team training or to receive the dog. The graduate would just be responsible for the ongoing cost of maintaining the dog. So veterinary care, food, uh, training supplies, grooming equipment, that kind of thing. And that's understandable. So no initial cost to get in the program or receive the assistance dog. So so how are you funded? Uh, so we receive uh, private donations. We also have some large corporate sponsorships uh, with different organizations that support us. Um, and from, from top to bottom, we have some wonderful volunteers and donors who are backing up our program and who are committed to our mission. And so they've been able to provide uh, the funding as well. Uh, we estimate that the average cost of providing a dog to someone with a disability would be about Mm. $50,000 when you consider all of the factors that go into that placement. And we're very uh, fortunate and very proud that we were able to do that without a cost to the recipient. That is very, very good and something to be proud of because most people would not be able to afford a $50,000 price tag on that. So that's great. Now, what kind of dogs does Canine Companions use? Uh, We primarily work with two breeds. So we have Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers. And then many of our dogs are actually crosses between those two breeds. So the idea is you've got that strong work ethic of a Labrador. You know, they're very hardy, eager workers. And then with the Golden Retriever, you have maybe a more social or gentle nature. So when you have crosses between those two, you get the best of both worlds a dog that loves to work, and then also a dog that loves to be with with people. I know a lot of people that have dogs from time to time think, well, maybe I'll take my dog into a hospital or whatever and try to spread some cheer and do a little therapy. But not every dog is a service dog. In fact, I understand 35% don't even graduate. That's right. Yeah, so we do have a, a high standard for our dogs. We like to think of them as the Olympic athletes of the dog world. Uh, So there are many things that we're looking for throughout the dog's um, life up until they get to the point of entering professional training. 
We do temperament evaluations. We look at their eyes and their hips and their elbows to make sure that they're in good physical condition to do the job. And then our training staff will take them out on field trips and see the dog in a variety of settings. And our puppy raisers do that too. So you need a dog that just not only knows the skills, but they also have an appropriate temperament, that they're eager workers, that they're not easily started, startled or fearful um, or don't have a strong prey drive. You know, they can be focused and continue to do the work because when you consider that the people that we're serving, they may not have a strong um, ability to manage a dog, for example, physically. So they need a dog that wants to do the work um, and will continue to do the work um, because they enjoy it so much. So here might be a good point to interject a little bit of information on the Duke study program that you're um, working with. Sure. So we're very excited about that partnership. Uh, it's in collaboration with Duke. Uh, and we have some, some researchers there that are specifically looking at our dogs at a very early age, just a, a few months old. And so there are some canine cognition tests uh, that they'll run the dogs through, just a series of um, behavioral analysis and temperament evaluations. And they're trying to see if there are some early predictors that might give us more insight to what makes our dogs so successful. Um, things for example, like as they look at their handler or they check in with the person who's conducting the, the test, um, how do they navigate their world, you know, physically, which um, which paw are they using or how do they work through a problem or solve a problem to get, you know, around an obstacle or over an obstacle. So it, it's been interesting um, to to see that play out and see how they're doing that study. And hopefully it'll give us some really great information so we can continue to place even more dogs for people who need them. And what's that program called? Uh, it's the Duke Kinder Kindergarten Study, or maybe it might be Kinder Pup. <laughs> Kinder Pup, okay. Okay, well, that's good to know. And we're going to talk a little bit later to uh, someone who's actually trained some of the puppies, but let me just ask broadly then to you and talk more in detail later with her. Um, where are the dogs trained? Well, our dogs, they start their journey from Santa Rosa, California, which is our national headquarters. So our dogs are born out there. We have our own breeding program. And then when they're eight weeks old, generally they'll go to their puppy raiser. Um, that could be an individual. It could be a family. It could be a, re uh, a college student, a retired couple. It could even be an inmate within a prison system. And so they lay the foundation for the dog's training. They have the dogs from eight weeks to about 18, 20 months, and they begin um, socialization and uh, some basic skill sets to really lay the foundation for the dog's training. Um, they introduce uh, more than 30 commands, and then the dogs return to our campuses for professional training uh, when they're about a year and a half old. So we do have six regional training centers throughout the United States. And the dogs will go back to a regional training center to do their professional training with a professional trainer for about six months. And that includes the uh, the southeast. Yes. So I work at the southeast region, which is in Orlando, Florida, and we serve eight states in the southeast region of the United States. Okay. So pretty well you cover everywhere, even though you're, it starts out in California, so people all across the United States could actually receive one of these assistance dogs. 
That's right. And that's another thing that we really are proud of. You know, we are a national organization. We do serve all 50 states. And sometimes we might have a graduate that has a dog. Maybe they've lived in Florida for a while, and now they're moving out to California or Ohio or Texas. And so even as they move, they still have that follow-up care from Canine Companions because we have people to to serve in in all states. Is that part of that support, uh, graduate support program? Yes, absolutely. So we're we're very um, eager to work with our graduate teams. We say that we're committed to them for the lifetime of the placement. Um, we don't just give them a dog and say, good luck, <laughs> see yes, you later. Yes. Um, we want to be a part of their life um, for the next eight to 10 years in a working role. Um, so we're available by phone, by video conference. We meet with our teams in person uh, to make sure that the dog is still responsive, that the person is still handling well. Uh, and make sure they have the support they need to um, use their their dog to the best of their abilities and get the the best um, response from the dog that they have. Yeah, that's key. So that's good. Now, how long does uh, each canine companion's assistance dog work? Uh, well, it depends on the individual dog. Generally, most of our dogs would retire between 10 and 12. Um, so if they graduate when they're two, that's eight to 10 years of a working career. And then upon retirement, the graduate has the option to adopt them formally. So Canine Companions does retain legal ownership of the dog throughout the, the placement. And then when the dog retires, the person can adopt them as their pet dog and they get to live out their, their golden years just as a beloved pet. So they get some downtime and get to enjoy um, a little bit more relaxed lifestyle out of a, or after uh, years of service to their person. Okay, so now now the, the, the big and the main question is how can an assistance dog improve quality of life? Oh, there's so many ways. Um, our focus as an organization is we do task-based training. So we are actively training and teaching the dogs physical tasks that will help mitigate the effects of someone's disability. So they know how to retrieve items. It could be a cell phone or keys, um, pick them up and deliver them back to uh, their handler. They can open and close doors. They can turn on and off light switches. And those might seem like somewhat, you know, uh, small or basic tasks, but that can mean the, the world to someone who is relying on other people for those tasks. But now they can distribute that over to the dog and the dog could pick their keys up in just a second or two and they're, they're on their way versus before maybe they had to call a neighbor or friend to come do that for them. Um, so there's a lot of task-based training. And then we also provide dogs for children with disabilities. So, um, an additional to the, or in addition to the physical tasks, um, really can help a, a child with their level of confidence, um, with having a, a companion, having a, a comrade, if you will, that's with them and that um, is not only a worker but a friend. And then we have our facility dogs who work in environments where there's a community of people who have a disability or maybe they're an at-risk population. So it could be at a rehab center at a hospital, for example. Um, so there, there's so many ways, not only physically, but also emotionally, um, that our dogs are supporting our handlers and giving them even better uh, confidence and allowing them to truly have independence and, and do the things that they want to do um, because they're distributing some of those tasks onto the dog rather than to uh, other people. What about PTSD? Yeah, that's a, a newer program for us. We 
um, participated in a study with the VA uh, a few years ago, and then we also launched our our PTSD program. So right now it is um, limited to people who have veteran status, and they also need to be in an area that's close to the regional centers that provide those dogs. Um, so right now that's in California and in Texas and um, areas that are close to our New York offices. Um, because it's a, a newer program, we're still gathering so much information. We're learning more about best practices and, and really um, polishing and really looking at the skill set for those dogs. And then, um, you know, of course, we'd like to have the opportunity to perhaps expand that program and serve even more people. Um, but for the PTSD program, that is also a task-based program. And so the dogs are trained to um, interrupt nightmares. They're trained to retrieve items. So it could be someone's medication bottle. And then they're also taught to block so they can stand in front of or behind their handler to give some more distance between the person and other people. So now, who is eligible to apply for a canine companions assistance dog? Oh, lots of people are eligible to apply. So um, outside of the, the PTSD program, we do serve, you know, adults and children. Um, the, the minimum age would be five for a skilled companion dog oh, to five. start the process. Okay. Mm-hmm. For the service and hearing dog teams, that would uh, require someone to be at least 17 to start the application process because they would be handling the dog independently. But in general, someone who has a disability that they have the ability to um, take care of the dog, um, they would have a you know support system, other people to, who can assist and help them with that. Um, they have the means and ability to care for the dog, you know, get the dog's exercise, um, help with with grooming and, and feeding. We, we talk a lot about the the daily routines for our graduates and how to meet the dog's needs. Um, but someone who can um, can demonstrate that they have a need that is met by the skills that our dogs are trained to do, um, they're welcome to start the application process and reach out to us to contact us and let us know that they'd like to apply. So we're almost out of time, but tell us just in brief about that application process, what's involved, how long is the wait list, that type of thing. Sure. So to start, someone would visit our website. It's cci.org, or you can Google Canine Companions. And then on our website, they would fill out a request for an application. So that's not the application itself just yet. It's them giving us their contact information, um, answering a few questions, and letting us know that they're interested. Then the next step would be a written application that they would fill out, um, include some information about their lifestyle, their um, diagnoses, their disability, their um, work environment, their home environment. Uh, they would send that back to us. Then we would have uh, a phone interview and talk with the person for about 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, we also look at professional and medical reference forms. And then we would invite the person to our one of our campuses to uh, practice and have a handling um, a handling rotation with the dog. So they can actually meet some of the dogs, practice with the dogs, and sit down with a member of our staff to talk through their application. Um, so all of those are part of the application process. And if we accepted someone, we'd call them a candidate. And that means that we agree to serve them. We believe that we can serve them. We're just waiting for that invitation for the perfect dog to meet their needs. Um, so as you mentioned, there is a waiting period. Um, that can vary widely. It could be a few months. It could be up to 20 months 
But our goal is that we would serve everyone within that 20-month period from the time they're accepted as a candidate. Well, this has just been valuable information. You know, if you're someone with a disability or know someone with a disability, uh, please pass it on because this is a this is a very good program. And Jen, I thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. I appreciate you shedding more light on our mission and and letting people know about the program. Thank you. So what about the puppy raisers and recipients? Elizabeth Penny from the Wake Med Rehab Hospital is both. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Let's talk first about what is involved in training these service dogs in your role of puppy raiser. Sure, I would love to. Um, One of the things is my daughter um, went to school at Meredith College and had decided that she wanted to puppy raise after we had had our first facility dog because she really wanted to be able to give back. So it was a great opportunity for both of us to jump in together and kind of give back and learn kind of a different side of canine companions. So I guess starting with one of the biggest things, um, we had to have like an in-home visit and making sure that our house um, was nice and safe. And we couldn't have any other dogs in the house that were under a year old. Um, And you get to work really closely with canine companions and they get to monitor kind of how things are going, answer questions, and you submit a monthly report. Um, We also, um, you have to attend obedience classes at least twice a month and kind of learning some of the puppy manners and basic commands. Um, And there's 32 commands that you have to be able to have your dog kind of demonstrate before they turn back in. So we ended up getting placed with a puppy named Eddie, and he was a golden lab mix. Um, So all of the puppy raising, as you know, probably come from Santa Rosa, California. So he flew into the airport, and we showed up and picked him up, and he was a yellow little bundle of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, Had his ear tattooed and... um, just sweet as can be, and took him back to my daughter's condo. And so we kind of co-raised if she would have him kind of over the weekends or on the weekdays, and we'd kind of switch off. Um, And so it was just, I think the puppy raisers in the area just have like the biggest hearts, and they are just the nicest group of people. And so that was really nice to be able to meet at Bass Pro Shop a couple times a month for, for training classes, just learning basic obedience commands, getting puppies out in the community, socializing with other puppies, as well as with people in the community, um, transitioning them to different environments from stairs and elevators and paved surfaces versus grassy surfaces or sandy surfaces. Um, And it was just a lot of fun. And then at the same time, I had the statue, so we could kind of use the two of them together and be able to um, just kind of have some of that bonding going on as well as Pistachio did really good with kind of teaching some social skills from a dog level. Um, so tell tell us your your greatest challenge. Some of the greatest challenges is they do use like a gentle leader whenever they're doing puppy training, and Eddie was very stubborn and did not want to use that. And and then one time I had him, um, he stopped by work for a visit. To, he stopped by work to visit some of my coworkers just to say hello, and he decided he was going to not wear his gentle leader, and he got up in the chair and refused to move for 45 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, How about a funny story well, instead of a challenge? What about a funny story? What happened with Eddie? A funny story. Um, he went um, on one of my daughter's events with her. They had gone to, like, an ice cream social, and Eddie decided to hide underneath the table of ice cream and refused to come out. <laughs> um, 
Sounds like he has a mind of his own. (laughs) He does, and he has this little stubborn strength. I think that comes from the Labrador in him. Mm -hmm. And then he had the little sweetness of um, the Golden Retriever. (laughs) But he just was the sweetest. So this week a year ago is the time that we turned him into Florida. So um, our region is southeast region in Orlando, Florida. So we drove down after having him for about 18 months. Um, We drove down to Florida, and they have a matriculation. So he gets a different cape. So he goes from a yellow cape to a blue cape. And then he walks across the stage oh. and um, kind of like his graduation to kind of like going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, was that hard was like, to have him for 18 months and then had to uh, have to separate? You know, it was very bittersweet. It was one of those, so my daughter's like sobbing uncontrollably mm-hmm. and she's 21 years old and she's, you know, upset. And at the same time, she's proud of him and and I said, you know, I said, it feels like it's just that next step, kind of like I don't send her to college for her to fail out of school so I can get her back. The goal is to send you to college so that way you can do what you need to do in this world and for me to help provide some guidance. And so she just sobbed uncontrollably. And and then we were able to kind of work through it, thank goodness, because, I mean, it is still like, I mean, he definitely took a piece of our heart with him. Mm-hmm. and. Do you keep in contact? Like, do you know how's it going for him and and the person he's uh, he's with? So he, we ended up finding out. So once he goes to advanced training, then they send you a monthly report to kind of tell you how he's doing. So he has a little report card (laughs) um, and tells you how he's doing. And he was doing really good. Then when COVID hit, then they sent him home with some of the trainers um, and some of the volunteer puppy raisers in the area. So he went home with a trainer and. Um, he continued to do really well, and then he was placed with um, a guy who was 21 years old who had seizure-like symptoms. And so our biggest joke was Eddie needs to go with someone who needs deep pressure because when Eddie would lay down, he would, like, plop his entire body down on you. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly who he got paired with, mm-hmm. with somebody who had seizure-like episodes. And so Eddie will crawl up on him and lay down on him mm-hmm. until they stop. Mm-hmm. Very so interesting. So he was he was actually supposed to graduate from team training the day before Jordan graduated from Meredith College. Um, and so they ended up having to do like a Zoom call. So we ended up meeting him and his mom and his sister. Um, and, and so since then, they have sent us numerous pictures and just stories about the way that Eddie has changed their life and how God has just blessed them. And they waited five years and they just couldn't be happier with the way that their son is flourishing and growing and just the love and care that Eddie has provided for them. Wow. That's a great story. I I bet a lot of people out there are thinking maybe I should be a puppy racer. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's, it's really nice to kind of see the flip side because I'm on my second facility dog. So it's nice to see the flip side of it and to get to know, so I got to meet, whenever I got pistachio, I was able to meet both of his puppy raisers. And just to see the love and the dedication and the time that they commit to changing somebody's life and then the ripple effect that it takes from that point on, it's just, it's such a blessing and such a gift. It's very rewarding. 
so you, you so you mentioned pistachio. I love that. I love that name. I should have named one of my kids pistachio. I oh love my gosh. it. <laughs> but anyway, now he I want you to tell us about that because we we've talked to Jen about the role of the individual's assistance dog already. So let's chat about how canine companions serve as facility dogs in particular about pistachio at Wake Med Rehab Hospital. Sure. Well, just a little bit about Wake Med. It's a 97 bed, so it's a physical rehab facility. So we um, see mostly like spinal cord injury, pediatric, stroke, brain injury. And so there's just a, a large population, a large um, diversity of diagnosis as well. And so I typically specialize in spinal cord injury as well as pediatrics. And so the two of the goals that we were trying to work on here was one, educating patients on the benefit of getting a service dog because it's a really big commitment. Um, you know, taking on something and making sure that it's the right environment, it's the right person, it's the right match, and there's just a really expensive process just to make sure that's happening. And then our second process or our second purpose would be to be able to utilize him in therapy. So Scully was my first facility dog. He passed away at age 11, and I had him for nine years, so I got pistachio when he was two. I went down for two weeks of team training, and it was kind of funny because when I was down there, you're not supposed to tell anybody or share any information like which dog you're getting just because at any time things could potentially change. And so I decided to do the whole bachelor episode. And so I would send out like a picture, it's a boy. And then I would send out like our our first night together and um, a picture of his tail and he's yellow. And just to see if people could start to begin to guess like who I was getting because you knew who was in team training, mm-hmm. the dogs, but you didn't know which ones were left and who people were getting. So he, um, I went down for two weeks of training. And so right now he is currently five and a half years old. So I got him when he was two. So he's a golden lab mix and he is just like the happiest dog in the world. Like he wakes up happy. He goes to sleep happy. Mm-hmm. Um, his puppy raisers are in Florida, Linda and Connie, and they're just the nicest, sweetest people ever. Um, so his work life kind of consists of about three hours a day. And so you think about how much our dogs sleep, and that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to actually have him out for three hours, I mean, he does get really tired, but he loves what he does. So I see patients on about every half hour throughout the day. And so I usually bring him out for about half of the day. Um, he knows about 42 commands, so all of their commands are verbal. There's no visual. They're all verbal commands. Um, and... So some of the different goals that, so what we decided was best for me was to be able to work with pistachio and then me work with a therapist. So that way I could take care of stash and then they could take care of their patient. So some of the different um, things that I end up working on with patients is like working on memory or maybe socialization or verbal spontaneous speech. A lot of times if somebody's had a stroke and they're having difficulty communicating or it's intimidating or they don't want to be judged maybe, um, using their arms or their legs, um, sitting balance, standing balance. Maybe it's just motivation. Patients just don't want to come down to therapy or they're just not motivated. And so it's been really interesting how I can kind of show up at certain times and incorporate him into therapy and just the changes that you will see just by having a dog present. I also like to kind of break that down a little bit and go one by one. <clears throat> The sure. role here, starting with occupational therapy. Perfect. 
So our occupational therapists here, they work on kind of increasing fine motor skills, like activities of daily living, so bathing, dressing, grooming. So I used the session a lot of times in a session with an occupational therapist. So I would have him jump up on a table maybe. Um, he can jump pretty high. And I put a mat down, a sheet, and then I can have the patient work on maybe brushing his teeth, maybe massaging him. I have numerous different tools to be able to do some brushing or grooming, um, kind of using their upper body. They can be sitting, they can be standing, they can do some high kneeling, just anything to kind of help work on their arms and their balance at the same time. Um, in physical therapy, a lot of times we'll work on standing balance or endurance, so having a patient play fetch. So I want, um, I want to get to a couple of the other therapies, and we're short on time. So sure, okay. um, just maybe um, one quick, like something sure. on speech therapy. Great. So for speech therapy, we'll work sometimes on short-term memory, word retrieval, problem-solving, sequency, breath support. Um, and then, like, as a rec therapist, I can work on, like, depression or sadness, kind of improving their mood, um, increasing their self-confidence. He loves food, and so it's for having a patient try to feed him and you know, him have to sit and wait and working on how well you say something and how assertive you are. Um, it's pretty amazing how much we, he actually mirrors all of our energy. Well, this sounds like, again, just a home run, whether it's individual or facility. And I thank you so much for sharing your story and telling us more about um, this program. Thank you so much for having us. It is just, it's such a pleasure to be able to share the things that I, I get to do at work. If you'd like to learn more about Canine Companions for Independence, go to cci.org. C as in canine, C as in companions, I as in independence.org. Well, this is when we usually feature a nonprofit, but we're going to let our nonprofit spotlight just stand on this wonderful organization uh, that we, we that we've been talking about. And like I said, we're running out of time, so it's actually time to high five and say goodbye. Hey, tell Alexa to put on Triangle Four One One, or go to Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Apple, etc., or our website triangle411.buzzsprout.com to hear stories about outer space, the behind-the-scenes happening at HGTV, restore of help for women, working moms, and moms turn virtual learning teachers. Oh my gosh, they have their hands full. Please be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be loving.